Well, it is a joy to be here with you. I'm uh, excited to have my family with me. They don't get to travel uh, to all of my preaching engagements, but uh, I got the whole crew minus one, minus the married one, so I'm going to be a grandpa soon. So I'm excited that I get to change to grandpa phase. My wife says, hold up, you got nine other ones at home. But according to the teenagers, I've been there for a few years, so we'll see how this plays out. But I'm glad to have them with us, uh, with me today, and I'm uh, thankful to see a lot of faces I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, I have a topic that we're going to cover through the whole weekend, and it is the dedicated church. What is a dedicated church? Now, I like mission statements. I like doctrinal statements. I think they're great. I think... Uh, Affirming things like the London Baptist Confession of Faith is a good thing to do. I, I like those, but what if you could only write a one-lined mission statement or a one-line doctrinal statement for your church? What would that be? What would it look like? A few questions you could ask yourself is, what is pure worship in the church? Who are you as the church to be? And how are you to focus, live, and commune? I see a lot of churches out there, denominations, buildings, each with a different way of worshiping, a different way of of doing church life, a lot of different teachings. But what should you at this church be? What should you look like in your worship? How should you look when you're walking in this life together, in this Christian walk? And we see through the epistles Many exhortations, teaching, examples of what we should be as a church and how we should go about this Christian walk. But I want us to look tonight as uh, an example, and Lord willing, over this weekend, the first church, the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is where we will take our text for the majority of these messages. What is happening here is Peter is standing at Pentecost with the other 11 apostles boldly declaring God's Word and something miraculous happens. 3,000 people are drastically, radically transformed. Now after this transformation of these 3,000 souls, they did not just go back home, go about their normal lives, And forget what had happened. Something changed in them. Something changed in the way that they lived, in the way that they walked, in the way that they were seen in their community. They went from a stage of individualism or a different religion. And they come together to be what is called the way, which is what the church was called before it was called first called a Christian church. So how did this way act? How did they respond? How did they walk? How did they do this church life? Here's the one line that I would give for what a church statement should be. That this church will be dedicated to the apostles' teachings. This church will be dedicated to fellowship. This church will be dedicated to the Lord's Supper. And this church will be dedicated to prayer. That's the New Testament church summed up. If you have those four things, then you will be able to endure what this church would endure later on in much persecution. So our title tonight is The Dedicated Church Dedicated to Doctrine. And then the next sermons will be to fellowship and communion, 
to prayer, and then Sunday morning it will be the church dedicated in persecution. So our text is Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Tonight we're going to focus on the continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Continuing steadfastly simply means they devoted themselves to. Steadfast means to be earnest towards something, to persevere in something, to be consistently diligent in something. This church was and we should be a community of born-again, Spirit-empowered believers who boldly proclaim and live the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. We need to live and show a broken and sinful world what it looks like to be redeemed. We need to show a broken and sinful world that there can be transformation in dark and cold hearts. We need to show and live this sinful world that even the darkest of hearts and the darkest of souls is not beyond the reach of a mighty, powerful, loving God. We, the church, are a community of born-again believers. Spirit-empowered believers. And we must be committed to what this first, this first Testament church was committed to, the same things. The church we see here in Acts is more, far more than a social gathering. We know that. It's not a group of people that got together all of the same mind, all of the same habits, all liking golf or all liking the certain sports team and they get together. This is a literal hodgepodge of society. It's people of different nations, kindreds, and tongues. It's people that worship this God. It's people that worship that God. It's people that worship the God of the Hebrews. They're very different from one another. They're not the same thing. So what is it that would bring a group of people you're nothing alike together with? It's an empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's a radical transformation in hearts and in lives. This church didn't grow by attracting people through appealing uh, to humanity's carnal desires because as we see, they all had came from the different backgrounds. They liked different things. They worshipped different things before. But what brought this church together was the power of the Gospel. The preached Word of the Gospel. Because as the Apostle is preaching, something drastic happens in their hearts. This And this church here, this New Testament church, is tasked with guarding that exact same gospel, the exact same doctrine that first penetrated their hearts. It is this glorious gospel that transforms the lives of the darkest of sinners. It's this glorious gospel that changed your hearts. It's this glorious gospel that changed my heart. It's this glorious gospel, the truth the doctrines of Jesus Christ that changes who we are. If the church today and beyond is to be faithful, faithful servants of God's Word, then we must be first faithful to what is taught in His Word. We have to be faithful to what the apostles taught because they were faithful to what Jesus taught. That's simply all that the apostles' doctrine means. It's the teachings of Jesus Christ. And that teaching was passed to the apostles. 
who passed it on to godly men, who passed it on to godly men, who passed it on to godly men, and the chain has not been broken, but the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached from the time of Jesus Christ. And that is the truth of the gospel that must be dedicated to by the church. That is what we must hold steadfast to. The 3,000 who confessed and those that were already following, because there was a hundred something followers prior to this, they are the they that are now being talked about here, that are referred to that in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly. So now you have this group that went from around 200, all of a sudden there's 3,000 of them, and they're learning to do something completely new, something they had not done before, a completely new lifestyle. This is the first community of Christ's after Christ's death that really is what we today call our church. So what are they made up of? Who are the they? We're looking at a group of people who are worshiping someone who had just not long before been crucified. This is different. You don't worship the dead gods. You don't worship the God that had been killed. You worship those that uh, are of rock or stone or the gods of the sky of Zeus and whoever it may be. You don't worship someone who's been crucified, do you? But these 3,000 are worshiping someone who had just been killed. But this God was raised again by His own power and His own might. This is a God that is unheard of. None of the other gods that have been worshipped have been killed and raised themselves from the dead, much less been raised from the dead. But this God, this Jesus, both was raised from the dead and He was raised by Himself from the dead. So what is it that takes them to be a church? It's the powerful transformation. As we said a while ago, that they were pricked in their hearts. Now, something powerful had to happen that no amount of pressure from the community, no amount of pressure from the authorities or ridicule ridicule from the world could prevent. And that is the power of the gospel message pricking someone so deep and so hard that they cannot but follow it. And that's what happened in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. It hurt them when they heard the gospel. It cut deep because when they realized what they were before a mighty and holy God, they were broken to their core. That's what prick to the heart means. It doesn't just mean, you know what? I think that gospel sounds interesting. I believe I'll follow it. It means deep remorse. It means deep sadness over what you were. It means great rejoicing over what you can become in Jesus Christ. That is this powerful transformation. And gladly they received the word and were baptized in verse 41. So they were pricked in their heart, but they didn't stay there in their tears and in their remorse. They joyfully got up and they joyfully went forward to be baptized. This is what the church is made up of. Repentant sinners who know who they were before the gospel was preached to them, who know who they were before the powerful transformation that happens in their heart, who know that they were deep sinners, destined, destined for eternal destruction, 
But when the pricking of the heart comes, the conviction of who you are before a mighty God comes and you realize then that He loves me, that He looked down upon me with love, so much love that He would send His Son for me, how can you but not respond in joy and joyfully go be baptized? And this is what they did. Now, it's easy to latch on to something or state belief in something that's popular. That's the easy thing to do. Something that's trending. One of the new fads that we may have in the circles that are around you. But this transformation was not a trend. In fact, it was scorned. It was mocked. It was looked down upon. This transformation was something radical. This transformation was not people putting on another mask to pretend like they were someone else. This transformation was people latching on to Jesus Christ instead of the next big thing. This transformation is what enables them and you now today to bear ridicule, to bear scorn, and the eventual persecution that came to them and that I tell you will come to us. And if it is not genuine, you will turn. If you have not been radically transformed, you will flee and you will run. No one wants to be mocked and scorned for something they don't really believe in. No one wants to put on a false mask to be persecuted for something they're not really are. Jesus taught the gospel, seed being sown in the ground in Matthew chapter 13, And the seed lands and people have different responses to how the seed lands. Tribulation causes those with no spiritual roots to flee. The cares of the world cause some to be fruitless, to be choked out. But this group of people here is what Matthew chapter 13, 23 calls those who have the good seed planted in the good ground. They heard the word. They believed the word. They stayed dedicated to the Word, and as a result, they were fruitful in this Christian walk. And even in the midst of the cares of the world, even in the midst of the constant mockery, in the midst of losing their families because they are in this new religion, losing their businesses, losing their friends, losing their spouses or their children, in the extremes of the persecutions that are to come, they stay faithful, and they stay dedicated, and they stay steadfast to this new calling. Now one side note, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here on one of tomorrow's messages, but they did this together as a church. These people were not transformed and then went to be recluses at home by themselves and figure out how to be a new Christian. They did this together. Brothers and sisters, you cannot function as a Christian alone. You can't worship God at home by yourself and never have a church family. You can't say, look, the church is full of sinners. I don't want to be around it. It's just going to be me and God in nature or me and God in my home. You will fall because you will fall prey to the temptations that will surround you. You will fall prey to the temptations that will flood you when you are alone. You need each other. We need each other as the church to hold each other up, to lift each other up, to grab each other from the fires, the book of James says, when you know someone is going to, down a dangerous road. We need each other to rescue each other. 
This church must do this together because if this church wasn't dedicated to worshiping God together, then when the persecutions came, they would have fled alone and they would have forsaken. Church, you need the togetherness. A life of lifting each other up in prayer and worshiping God together. That's what the rest of this chapter of two tells us that they did. It tells us how they did this. Constantly, day to day in each other's homes, sharing what they had, being together, worshiping together on a daily basis. This is to the togetherness. They did it with one accord. That just means with one mind. They did it with a singleness of heart. It means generously, generously, whatever, as if they were one. It's these people being one together. Not a bunch of individual Christians worshiping in a bunch of different ways. You don't take 3,000 people and say worship in 3,000 ways. You took 3,000 people and you said worship in this way. The truth of Jesus Christ. The church is those who are born again. We must make that very clear. The church is not just any people who get together and meet. The church is composed of saved people, once lost to sin, but now redeemed by a mighty saving power of Jesus Christ, which brings forth that life in us to work through the power of the Holy Spirit. The church's design is not to structure itself in a way that the unsaved feel comfortable sitting in the midst of the church. They don't need to feel at home under the preaching of the gospel. The church is a called out people who have repented of their sins, who rejoice in the salvation that they have through Jesus Christ. But sadly today, we see many churches are built around the world and built around looking like the world and being like the world so that they can attract the world. And then the church is the world. It's not a Christian church. It's a church of the world. It's a social club to make you feel better every Sunday morning that you're good the way that you are. That God loves you just the way as you are. Come dirty, you're okay. Well, I say come dirty and be clean. Come dirty and be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But don't think that you're okay without the blood of Jesus Christ. The church is not to cater to the world. The church is to preach to the world and to witness to the world and to love the world by showing them who they are without Jesus Christ. Now I want, I would love it for our Churches to grow, to be big, to have a thousand member at PB Church everywhere there is. They all have a thousand members. That would be awesome. But what I don't want to see is the churches forsake the truth in order to grow. God's growth will happen through the preaching of the church as he saw fit and added to this church daily through the preaching of the truth. It's not to be at the expense of the truth at any cause ever. It's not to be men making names for themselves, celebrity preachers, that people are following that man. We're just clay vessels. The guys that fill the pulpit, we're just men. We're sinners too. We've been saved by the same powerful grace that you have been saved by. We're a clay pot. Easily replaced. It is the message of God that the men speak. 
that you're to follow, not the men themselves. It's the preaching of the truth of Jesus Christ. And that is what it means to be dedicated, to stand steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. In the New Testament, they saw this happen. It's not a new thing for unbelievers to be in the church and affect the church. First John chapter 2 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Satan knew what was going on. When Jesus rose from that grave, Satan knew he had ultimately been defeated. And Satan's goal now is not to take the world down. He has the world. He has them already. His goal is to take you, the church. Satan wants to destroy the church. And he's doing a good job of it here in America, I would say. But you, Ripley, stand firm in the apostles' doctrine. Stay true to the truth of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful you have a pastor that preaches the apostles' doctrine. But what I don't want us to think about the unbeliever, though, is that we don't want them here. I want the unbeliever to be in this church because I want them to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to shun people when they come through the doors. You say, I know them. I want no part of that. Invite them to church. The most foul-mouthed guy you've got at work, invite him to church. The teenagers at school that are living the wildest life, invite them to church. They're not the church, but through the power of God they can be. But you must bring them They don't want to be here. You must bring them. And they have to see something in you that makes them want to come. They have to see a change in you that you're not the world. There's something different about this New Testament church. They stood out to the world. They didn't blend in. They were different in church. You need to be different. I'm not saying be the awkward homeschoolers that we all used to be. And everybody, you know... I don't want to make anybody mad, but everybody's got culottes and everybody's got this jumper on. That's not what I mean by be different from the world. I mean, it's how you live your life, how you love one another, especially, and how you love the world. That's what the world needs to see in us. We should want them here to hear the apostles' doctrine. To have their sin exposed to who they are. Because I tell you that darkness cannot stand in light. When the powerful light of Jesus Christ shines forth, the world hates it because it shows them their spots and their blemishes. It shows them who they are before a righteous and a holy God. I want sinners to hear it. I want them to come and hear I want them when they sit in the midst of the preaching that they see that there's something wrong with their life. I want the sinner to hear the preaching and see that there's something missing in their heart. I want them to want to identify with Jesus Christ because the world is searching for identities. In fact, the identities are changing every day with what the world seeks. But there's only, only one place that they will ever be satisfied that they will ever find an identity. 
that will keep them safe, that will make them whole. And that is the identity of being in Jesus Christ. And they hear it here in the church. So invite them. But the church is not made up of unbelievers. They are not the church. The church is the people of God who have been convicted of their sins. Who have repented of their sins. Who have followed in baptism. That is what the church is made up of. We should be unequally yoked in this church. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he with believers with an infidel? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see, there's a difference. Because you, church, not this building, you, church, have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you. That's what makes you the church. We as the church do not want to give the unbelievers a false sense of security. That they are okay as they are. I say come as you are, but you're not okay as you are. This church was made up of people who were transformed They remained steadfast. They remained devoted. They were completely attentive to this new faith, not their old ways. They were constantly adhering to being taught the ways of this faith, not their old beliefs. They were completely earnest in their devotion to this faith and to the teaching of this new faith. So what is it that they were continuing steadfast in as a church? The first is the apostles' doctrine. This church was Not only a saved church, it was a scriptural church. It was a church dedicated to the truth of the gospel. The apostles' doctrine, as we said earlier, just simply means what Jesus taught. It's what Jesus taught, it's what he taught to his apostles and what has been handed down. It's not their own message. It's the message of God. Preaching took a priority in the church. Not the preacher, but the preaching The preaching took a priority in this church. It was their main focus to be taught because they yearned for something that they did not yet know. All they knew at first was I am a sinner and there is a Savior and He has washed me clean. And now they want to know, what do I do? Teach me, preacher. Apostles teach us what we should do. And they were so excited that they would get together daily to learn how to live as Christ would have them to live. This is a place to learn of who God is. This is a place to learn how to be holy as He is holy. This new church learned under the preaching of the apostles. And it is that same teaching now that is written to us in this Word of God that is being taught by the elders of the churches. We're not here to show you fancy gimmicks or give crafty sermonettes that are full of a bunch of jokes. That's not our purpose. It's okay to have a laugh here and there. We can be joyful Christians. We don't have to be mopey, sad Christians. But the purpose of this pulpit is not to entertain you. It's to teach you the ways of Jesus Christ. It's to point you away from sin and to Calvary. The purpose of this pulpit is to change lives through the preaching of the Word of God. That's the purpose of this pulpit. 
We're to preach the same word that the apostles were teaching and taught in this early church. This teaching should bring about new learning for you as it did for the church. It should bring about renewed faith for those that have been Christians for years. You're not going to learn something every time you hear a preacher preach. But you do need to be renewed in your faith every time you hear the word preached. You need to be renewed and remember that salvation. You need to be reminded of what you were and what you are through the preaching of the word. It's not... I believe in God with my own thoughts and my own ideas. That's not what preachers are here for. We're to preach the same word that we were taught by men of God. And they taught us by men of God. And they were taught by men of God. And they were taught by men of God all the way back to the apostles who were taught of Jesus Christ. And there is one message to be preached. And that is the message of Jesus Christ. Your soul should thrive under the preaching of the gospel. There should be a change in your life under the preaching of the gospel. You should not walk out of here the same Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. If that's the case, then one of two things is happening. Either you're not being taught and know that's not what's happening in this church. Or you're not listening to what is being taught. Or you don't want to hear what is being taught. Because oftentimes we do backslide, don't we? We fall back into sinful habits. Sometimes we want to stay in our depression. We want to stay in our bad habits. We want to have an excuse to be angry quickly. And when you're preached to, you're convicted of it. Brothers and sisters, you should walk out of here changed every Sunday. Either renewed or convicted or both. Because we all need that renewing and that we need that conviction. You should be an overflowing fountain of hope and joy when you go out in the community after you have heard preaching, after you have been in the church, after you have been with your brothers and sisters and you have been under the preaching of the word. Because it's the power of God Almighty in you through the blood of Jesus Christ, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit now in you, the triune God is with you. You are His temple. Go out into the world and be His temple. Show them the light of the gospel. Let it flow from you. And you should be growing under this. We all, all new Christians come as spiritual babes. Now a lot of people have this great head knowledge of the Word. But if it's not in your heart, take it and throw it out the window. And when Christ is in your heart, come back as a newborn babe and receive the good milk of His Word. A mother feeds her baby infant with food it needs to grow. Food that will be healthy for that baby. That will nourish that baby. Without the right nutrients, the right combination, the baby's sickly. It doesn't grow. It doesn't grow the way it should be. It's malnourished. Now, I like food examples. And I love fish and chips. That's one of my favorites. But we don't start our newborn babies on fish and chips. They can't handle it. And I would get in trouble for my wife. But the baby's stomach can't handle fish and chips. The baby needs the milk from its mother's breast to grow. Because that's where the nutrients are for that newborn baby. That's where you as a Christian start. On the breast of your Savior. 
on the nourishing milk of the Word. This is how that early church was. They didn't know. They weren't all completely versed in the Scriptures. Yeah, there was a hundred something Hebrews who knew some scripture. And then you had 3000 people who were out there, some Hebrews, some not, because what you saw happening previously was the brothers going out speaking in all of their various languages. And they're saying there's something going on here with the power of the spirit. What is this? This is brand new. Some of them might not have even heard that Jesus had been crucified until Paul started preaching. And they're saying or until Peter had started preaching, they're saying, what? Is this? Teach me. I need to know. So Peter didn't start off with, let me teach you all the eschatological views that the primitive Baptists have. He didn't say, let me teach you about every single aspect of sanctification by grace. You know what he said? He said, you're a sinner and you need a savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. And that's where we all start. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. His name is Jesus and he died for me. And by his power, I have been transformed. That's the gospel for a newborn babe. We start to learn it as we grow. But this is how this church started. And they needed this daily feeding and care. They were needed to be taught the basics on a daily basis. And this is how they grew. And this is how you too are to grow as newborn babies. Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. This was their desire for the spiritual milk. They weren't saying, hold on, give me the steak, man. I can handle it. They wanted the milk because they knew they needed it. And they saw the growth daily in their lives and in the church, but being taught appropriately by the elders, by the apostles. They were being taught what they needed to be taught at the right time. And they grew thereby. Oh, that we would in our churches would cry out. Feed me milk. I'm weak. Sometimes we can't handle the meat. Just give me milk. I need to hear the grace of Jesus Christ. I need to be reminded that I was a sinner and that he saved me. And that's all I know today. Sometimes we just need that reminder that He loves me. He has not forsaken me. He has not let me go. Just give me some milk. We find ourselves at times where we start to feel that we're fading away from it. The meat's too heavy for us to handle. We start feeling ourselves grow cold. Cry out like David did in Psalm 51. After he committed the sin with Bathsheba, he says, Oh God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Make me to love you again, Lord. And if I just need to be fed milk for a little bit to make that happen, then give me some milk, Lord. But give me back my joy in you. Give me back my joy. Now let's look at this spiritual milk and meat here for a moment because this is what this church was doing. This is how they're growing. This is how they're being fed. And this is how you today still get fed. Some with milk, some with meat, some of us with both. There's two passages I want us to consider here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And then Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. I'm going to read both of these and then we'll talk about them. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babies in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Now Hebrews chapter 5. For when the time, for when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become as such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of us, of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, milk is here used to describe a spiritual immaturity or a spiritual newness. Meat is used to describe a spiritual maturity. Now, in these passages, Paul is using this analogy of milk and meat. He's correcting people who should be more mature than they are in one instance. He's not correcting people who are new believers or people who are believers growing adequately over time. Remember, it's essential that the babies have the milk, and it doesn't say anything about it being bad for a new Christian to have milk or a baby to have milk, because that's what they need. But trying to give baby a meat or solid food before they're ready is harmful. It hurts them. And it shouldn't be considered an either or at all times either. But what should be considered is a continuum of growth. What are you being fed that helps you to grow? Are you growing with meat or are you growing with milk? And if sometimes you've slidden back, you may need to be fed milk again to start growing again. Steady growth is the key. Steady progression in your growth is the key. You're not all as mature as each other in spiritual areas. Not everybody is. You have older Christians who've been in it for years. You have younger Christians who are just learning. Some of you will be at milk. Some of you will be at meat. All in the same congregation. This church was going about this daily and the teachers are feeding them with the food that they needed to hear. Now, I will acknowledge that a lot of the sermons you hear in these pulpits may be a bit more meat and a bit less milk. But it behooves us as ministers to give you both as appropriate. A new convert needs milk. Maybe sometimes they need that milk privately with the pastor. Maybe they need it in a small group. Children, you may need it with your parents and then with the pastor's help at times. But you need to be given the spiritual milk. And as you come to Christ and you come to grow in Him, then you start to get fed more and more of the meat. Adult new Christians sometimes still need that milk from the preachers. And we have this mix. But let me say this as a as a pastor. If you're not understanding what your preachers are telling you, please come to them. I say, Pastor, that was meaty. Could you give me a sip of milk? I have no clue what that sermon was just about. Sometimes we don't know what everybody in this congregation is at. We don't know where they're at. Don't be afraid to go and ask. Because sometimes those sermons are heavier. Sometimes they are meatier. But we want you to grow in the preaching of the word. We want you to come and ask us, what did that mean? How do I do this? How do I interpret that? 
So sometimes we have milk, sometimes you have meat, and that's what this church here has. But it's done through primarily the preaching and the teaching of the Word. That's where you're going to get it, in the pulpit, or in a Bible study, or in a home study through the preaching of the Word. Now, both Timothy and Titus were exhorted by their spiritual mentor, Paul, on the importance of the preaching of the Word. And we're talking about the preaching of the Word because that is the apostles' doctrine that the church was staying steadfast in. This church is devoted to the apostles' doctrine. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, what you have been taught, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto you have attained. And then in verse 11, he says, These things command and teach. The things that I have taught you, you take those and you teach them. And then he says in verse 13, Till I come, give attendance to the reading to exhortation, and to doctrine. That's the primary focus of what these pastors are to be doing, is the preaching, the teaching, the reading, and the exhortation. Verse 16, he says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, and continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear. The doctrine matters. The preached word is important. That's why it's dangerous when you have a preacher that gets up that just gives you a good time. Because there are souls at stake. There are heartaches at stake. There are hardships at stake. If the preachers get in the stand and give you a good time. For both them and you. Because it's a harsh, harsh world out there. And the temptations are strong. And without the preaching of the Word and the truth of the Word, and sometimes it's hard to hear, you may fall prey. And so will those preachers. And you, the the believer, to grow under this preaching of the Word. And we, the elders, are called to be the one who is holding fast, as it says in Titus 1. Hold fast the faithful Word as he has been taught, that he may also by sound doctrine both exhort and to convince the gainsayers. The gainsayers are out there. They, the, church, the church is hated. Not because of me, not because of Lewis, and not because of you. It's hated because of Jesus Christ and what He shows the world. Churches today are falling away the way of that Hosea warned. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, he says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. The churches in America are falling apart because there's no knowledge in the churches. Because there's no doctrine being taught in the churches. Because there's no truth being taught in the churches. Because people want to get there on Sunday and be talked to by some man who just makes them feel good every Sunday about who they are. And as Israel was warned, you're being destroyed because you don't know the Lord. You're being destroyed because you don't know His Word. Ripley, do not be destroyed for lack of knowledge. When your pastor preaches to you, listen. Heed the words. Study the words. Because much is at stake. The name of God in in America is at stake. 
When all we have is churches that pander to the world. Do not be destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Be a knowing church. Listen when your pastor preaches to you. The knowledge that you receive from this word is your food. It is what sustains you. It is where you grow. It is how you grow. It is how you thrive. It is how you survive. This is what causes you to be a healthy church full of healthy Christians is when you listen to the preaching of the truth of the Word of God. And the churches must have teaching. And that requires the elders to be dedicated to the teaching of the Word. To the study of the Word. So that we can feed you appropriate food. Shame on the pastor. Shame on the preacher who does not study his Word. Who gets up and thinks he can convince you of whatever he wants to say. However he wants to say it. In whatever witty way he wants to say it. Shame on that man. Because much is at stake. And God will hold him accountable for how he teaches that church. You must have dedication to that teaching. You must listen to it. You must ponder on it. You need to ask questions. You need to study. You need to be as the church at Berea. That was the Apostle Paul. Who are they to question him? Rightly so should they have questioned by going back to the Scriptures to say, is this true? That is you, church. Be a knowing church. Don't say that's for Pastor Lewis to know. That's for you to know as the church. That's for you to understand as the church. That's for you to absorb. For you to feast upon, oh, taste and see that the Word of God is good. That's you, church. You are to be about doing that. This dedication to the doctrine and the teaching from the pastors to teach it, to be dedicated to the church receiving it, for you to absorb it so that you may grow. There are many false doctrines out there. They're clever. Satan is clever. He doesn't take something that completely sounds untruthful and bring it in to twist the churches. He takes a tidbit of truth and then he begins to corrupt the church with that. I mean, we all know that Satan knew the Scriptures. He knew them well. False prophets know the Scriptures and they know how to twist them. And unknowing, unknowledgeable Christians are easily deceived because they want a good time in church. The pulpit is not for your entertainment. The pulpit is for your enlightenment. The pulpit is for you to grow. You church are to be called to be as this first century church. To hold steadfast. To be dedicated to the preaching of the Word. If you're not dedicated to the preaching of the Word, then you won't be dedicated to these next few messages. If you're not dedicated to the truth of the gospel, then you won't be dedicated to fellowshipping with one another. If you're not dedicated to the truth of the gospel, you won't be dedicated to the Lord's Supper. And if you are not dedicated to the truth of the gospel, you will not be dedicated in persecution. You will flee. Truth matters. The doctrine of the apostles 
matters. And it matters to you today in America. Because the gospel is twisted. And persecution is coming. But you church be dedicated. You stand steadfast. My prayer is that we would tune out the things of the world. That we would look to this example of spirit-filled believers in a new church and see the beauty and the simplicity of what that church is. The beauty and the complete dedication of that church. And let that be your church motto. To be steadfast to the apostles' doctrine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we understand that sometimes sitting under the preaching can be burdensome. Sometimes it's late at night. Sometimes we're tired. We've worked all day. Sometimes we just simply don't understand. But Lord, even when we're tired, even when we don't understand, even when we're frustrated, and Lord, sometimes cold, I pray that You awaken us to love Your Word. Awaken us to love to hear the preaching of the Word. Lord, give Your pastors strength. Give them boldness in You to preach Your Word truthfully and faithfully. Give the hearers hearts to hear Your Word. And Lord, to love Your Word and to live in Your Word and to be dedicated to hearing Your Word preached. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.